You're listening to The Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny Goldberg. Hey, this is Lenny Goldberg, and thank you for joining me today. This past week, a lot of headlines about the Hague-based court that's going to begin hearings, complaining that Israel is guilty of genocide in its military campaign that was launched against Hamas after the terror group's onslaught. That's what they call it. It was an onslaught on October 7th. And so, yeah, the UN top court, international court, is going to hear a genocide case against Israel. And we've heard allegations like that throughout the entire Israel-Arab conflict from the beginning. Even when I was on campus in the 80s, I would hear the leftist protesters screaming, Israel and its genocidal policies, genocide. So what they're trying to do and what America's trying to do also, they're trying to force Israel to stop its war. We're supposed to stop this war, even though we're in total survival mode here. We're being attacked from the north, from the south. But that's what these people want. They want us to cease to exist. And the fact is, in order to exist, we probably do have to carry out a genocide. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, the pathetic part is we sent the Hag to plead our case. None other than ex-Supreme Court Chief Aaron Barak. He will be at the Hag genocide hearings to you know, plead our case. We couldn't find somebody else. Well, after all, he is so brilliant and he's so honorable and he's so universal. I don't want to even mention his anti-Zionist stances over the years. It's unbelievable the things he's done to stymie the IDF. So many decisions he's made. And of course, he's the judge who unleashed the Mapecha Mishpatit, the judicial revolution that we've been fighting ever since. All this judicial reform that we're trying to get through is because this Aaron Barak turned the judiciary into a dictatorship. So that's what they're sending. And I don't trust them. If they're going to send anybody, and they shouldn't send anybody, but if they would, send a passionate Zionist. Send a hilltop youth. Send somebody they don't know who would tell them, who the hell are you to judge us? We're in a battle for survival. And instead of defending our rights to exist, you accuse us of genocide? Go to hell. But that's not something that Aron Barak is going to say. And of course, way before the Hague trial, genocide... It's been the buzzword. That's what the Palestinian protesters say where they're marching in the United States, blocking streets. Israel's committing genocide. And the thing is this. Now, I'm not calling for a genocide. One can leave an opening in the city and allow the population to flee. So for us, what does that mean? All the IDF has to do is bomb the Philadelphia border between Egypt and Gaza and just let the Gazans flee that way. That's also halacha. As of now, all you have is the narrow Rafiq opening. So they can't even emigrate if they wanted to. And so, yeah, that's Jewish law. In a Malchemet mitzvah, you can leave an opening and let the enemy population flee that way. At least, let's do that. I'm not calling for a genocide. When Joshua fought the seven nations, was that called genocide? Well, in the Torah, it was called something else. We have the commandment, Lo kol neshama. You are not allowed to let a soul live. That's the Torah meaning of genocide. What did Joshua do to the inhabitants of Canaan when he went in there? Well, if you take a look at chapter 10, for instance, you got a lot of verses of, I guess we'll call it genocide. What does it say? In his war against the city of Ai, he stretched out his hand and he utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. All the inhabitants, not just the bad guys, not just the Hamasniks. And then in his war against the southern kings, Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter. 
מכה גדולה מאוד, אטומם, they were all consumed, וסרידים סעדו מהם. And the verse ends, and they left no survivors, just as he did to Jericho, to Jericho. Here's another genocide in Joshua chapter 10, verse 35. This is against Lachish. It says like this, And he took it on that day. And he smote with the edge of the sword all the souls that were in there. He utterly destroyed them on that day. Everything. That is what he did to Lachish. And then Joshua went up to Gezer against King Choram. And they took the city and smote it with the edge of the sword. And all, and all the souls that were there. Lo Hishir Sarid. He left nobody remaining. You hear that? Lo Hishir Sarid. Nobody was remaining. Vechrimotam. He utterly destroyed it. That call Nefesh Asherba and all the souls that were there. That's what Yoshua did to Eglon. One genocide after another. We're going to have to take Yoshua to Hag. See what he's going to say. And just a couple more verses what he did to the kings of the north. Vayakum v'yodafum atzidon. Vayakem al-bilti yeshir lehem serid. And he smote them until there was none remaining. And this is against Chatzor in the north. They smote all the souls that were within, with the edge of the sword. They utterly destroyed them. They left nobody alive. Nobody breathing. Not a soul. That is the city of Chatzor. They burned it down with fire. So that's our model. Yeshua is our commander. He is our mentor. The way he conquered Israel the first time, that's what we're going to have to do now this third time. We're going to have to learn from that, do the same. And so anything less than a genocide or a Dresden or whatever you want to call it, ensures tragedy to the Jewish people. You know, there's a concept of wiping out completely Amalek. We're commanded to unleash a genocide on Amalek. Wipe out Zechar Amalek, the memory of Amalek, men, women, children, camels and donkeys. And many say that the Nazis, Yemach Shamam, who committed a Holocaust on the Jewish people, they're Amalek. They fill the biblical shoes of Amalek because they tried to wipe out every man, woman, and child. Now, what am I getting at? That the Arabs also fill the shoes of Amalek? Yeah, that's true. If there was ever a nation that was mobilized, man, woman, and child, to kill Jews, it's the Arab population of Israel. So yeah, you could say they're Amalek, but I want to get to something a little deeper than that. What is Amalek? They represent the antithesis to the children of Israel. They come to deny the existence of God in this world. And the Jews are in this world to sanctify the name of God and make him known. Amalek is the opposite. And so in many ways, Amalek is Israel inside out. They're the antithesis. So when the Germans massacred the Jews, that was Amalek. The evil vanquished the good. But as I said, they're the antithesis. Genocide isn't necessarily bad. It depends how you use it. What Joshua did to the Canaanites, that was just and good. The same act of wiping out a nation can sometimes be a mitzvah. And when we do, God willing, finally fight this war right and do genocide on the Gazans, imagine then what the world will do and how many hot trials is going to be when we actually do what we're supposed to do, when we do what they claim we're doing, then, my friends, we're going to have a nice Gog and Magog, Armageddon. 
The whole world will be against us. And that's something that's in the prophecy. The nations are going to converge on Jerusalem. Esau and Yishmael. I mean, if they're pissed off now, what do you think is going to happen when we really unleash on them a genocide? That there's going to be a conglomeration of the nations against us. And you can see how this thing will play out. Because when Israel eventually does the right things that it has to do in order to survive, and at one point, a real leader, a military man, will rise and unleash the necessary genocide, the world will most definitely be against us then. There's no escaping it. We're living in those days, and you have to be blind not to see it. And Rabbi Kahana has talked about it and written about it many times. Why is it in this era, why is this the beginning of the redemption? Why was this time chosen as the time when all this stuff is going down? I mean, after all, Jews have suffered over the past centuries and nothing happened then. We've had sufferings and humiliations before. We had horrors at the hands of the church when they mocked the God of Israel. We had a lot of Chilul Hashem before. So why today and not yesterday is this all happening? Why is today the final scene? And the rabbi explains that it's happening now because the whole purpose of the Almighty in making the world was that, as it says in Psalms, let everything that has soul praise the Lord. That is, the world was created so every human being can recognize and acknowledge the Lord as the real God. And that's what we pray for. There will come a day when the Lord shall be king over all the earth. That's what it says in Zechariah. And he continues, On that day shall the Lord be one and his name one. So, and so the Jew, he was chosen to spread the greatness and divinity of the Lord throughout the world. That's what it means to be a chosen people. So the Jew is a shaliach for this. But the entire world was also created in order that someday they too would accept the kingship of the Lord. We want everybody to believe, not just the Jews. Okay, so why is this all coming to a fore today and it didn't happen, let's say, a hundred years ago. So the rabbi explains that the universal acceptance of God, which is what we're looking for, it can't happen unless the entire world is aware of Jews and God, right? If major parts of the world are unaware even of the existence of a Jewish people and a God of Israel, how can they possibly accept him as king? You know, you have some place in Singapore what do they know about Jews and Hashem? So it's not fair. They can't choose. They don't know anything. And so as long as the world, the way it used to be, was so isolated and it was composed of all these little nations separated from one another, nobody knows what the other's doing, everybody with their own separate lives, separate cultures, they're all ignorant of even the existence of a people called Israel and God to pay homage to or not to, to either pay homage to or to hate, whatever, if they're not aware of any of that, you can't have maximum Kiddush Hashem. So as Rabbi Kahana says, there had to come a time when the world shrank and became one. That every nation and every people would be united in information and in knowledge. And that's what you have now. In order to know that there is a Jewish people in Israel and a God of Israel, and now they can accept it or reject it. So that's what you have because the world has gotten smaller, because of the internet and technology. Everybody's got an opinion now. I saw people in Hag marching for Israel. You got people marching against us. You got people marching for us. Everybody could choose. Everybody knows about it. It's on Fox News 24-7 and all the news stations. Everybody knows about it. You never had that before. And so the rabbi explains that this immense leap of science and technology in our times 
has shrunk the world and the spread of knowledge and the Jewish people and their God can get out to every little far-flung island in some Indian somewhere. Now all people have an opportunity to go with Hashem and to go against them, to go with the Jewish people or to oppose them. And so this universal assault on Israel is of course an assault on the God of Israel. And so that's the time of the final redemption because they're going to get theirs. They're going to get such a smack. And in this modern era, it's brought the nations to a point where an entire world can defy and desecrate the God of Israel. And that's what you see. You never had that before. You never had a situation where the Chilul Hashem could be so magnified. And by the same token, so could the Kiddush Hashem. Because by the same token, they're all going to see the salvation. When the Almighty, through His people Israel, gives us the victory, the world, then they'll see, and they'll tremble, and they'll cry out, Hashem Hu Elohim. And that's what David says in Psalms number two. He says, the Lord is God. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord will mock them. And now, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O judges of the earth. Serve the Lord in fear that you may rejoice when there is trembling. And so that's why this is the era. Again, because now you can have Kiddush Hashem and Chilul Hashem to the max. Think about it. In the glory days of King Solomon, as much as he could, it was hard to be a light unto the nations because the world was so isolated. People had to come to him. He had to marry a thousand wives to get the word out. He didn't marry a thousand wives for romance. You don't marry a thousand wives for romantic reasons. They were political marriages. He was trying to spread the word of God to the nations and he didn't have internet. So what did he do? He married them to get them close. It might've been a mistake. He went too far, but that's what he was trying to do. Today, you don't have to work hard. Everybody sees what's going on every single day in Israel on their phones, every minute, every second. It's on the news. You never had it before. And Rabbi Gan explains further that there's another aspect to this. Why in this time is it all happening? Is it all coming together? And he says the very explosion of science and technology that has shrunk on the earth, as we said, what does it do? It makes Achil Hashem because there's a tremendous amount of arrogance and haughtiness and a sense of godhood and that man is some kind of divine being because he can do so much now. This stupefying progress of man today it, in a natural way, in a very natural kind of way, it instills with him the rejection of God and the coronation of man as master of the world. Man can reach the stars. Man can clone people. He can do anything. And so for the first time in history, we live in an era of disbelief. There's no greater Chilul Hashem than that. There used to be Avodah Zarah. People believed in something at least. Now we believe in man. This is unparalleled in history. Because ever since man, as we know him, appeared on earth, he believed in the concept of a higher being, of some divine being, a power greater than he. That was in his consciousness. A atheism? That's something new. The absence of a God, it was unthinkable once. And whether the belief in a greater power was monotheistic or polytheistic, whether it was the most primitive and ludicrous type of worship, at least man, he believed in something higher than him. But today, for the first time in history, you have whole societies, you have whole countries, millions of people who don't believe in a higher force. We live in an age of disbelief and that's a product of an explosion of rationalism and science that's made man Superman. And this revolutionary technological progress brought with it 
incredible amount of wealth and goods and gashmiut, pleasures. And along with that is the license to pursue gratification, the good life, without any guilt or any fear or punishment, because there's no higher power anyway. And so that is Chilul Hashem in all its rebellion. Now, the saddest thing about all this is that it's the Jew who's leading all this in many ways. Because that's what the Jew is. He is capable of achieving the highest spiritual heights. And he's also capable of leading the world in descent to the depths of anarchy and rebellion and decadence. And so, yeah, it's all coming to a head. And now we know why it's happening at this time in our era. Moving on to the Pasha Shavua, we're dealing with the plagues in Egypt, the exodus from Egypt, the basis of the Jewish faith. And Binyamin Kahana has a commentary on the Haggadah. And by the way, if you want to order a Haggadah of Pesach, it's not too early. You don't have to wait till after Purim to order your Haggadah of the Jewish idea. Rabbi Yamin in his commentary there, when he talks about the 10 plagues and the exodus from Egypt, he asked the following question. Couldn't God have brought us out of Egypt without all this terror, without all this balagan, all this violence, all this killing? After all, God is omnipotent. He could have taken us out B'darkei Noam in a nice way, maybe through a peace treaty. After all, wasn't our major goal to leave Egypt? He could have got us out any way he wanted to. For instance, there used to be a television series called Bewitched. And what she would do, Samantha, she would kind of twitch her nose and she was able to do magic. And so Hashem could have just, and boom, we're out of Egypt. We're in the desert already. I mean, he could have done it that way. It would have been less violent. Or maybe he could have done it like I Dream of Jeannie. That was another television series. She kind of closes her eyes and uh, blinks really hard. And boom, magic. Hashem could have done it. Chick chak, you know, just like that. Just just like I Dream of Jeannie. No, we got to go through this long process of plagues, blood and sickness, dever and boils and frogs. Come on. Why go through all that? And so what Rabbi Yaman explains here is that the purpose of the Exodus, it wasn't merely that the Jews be liberated. The main purpose was for those Gentiles who said, I do not know Hashem. Like Pharaoh said to Moses when Moses came and said, Koamar Hashem, thus Hashem said, Shlachatami, let my people go. What did Pharaoh say? Lo yadati at Hashem. I don't know Hashem. What are you talking about Hashem? And so the purpose of the Exodus wasn't merely that the Jews leave, but we're going to make Pharaoh know Hashem. We're going to force him to know Hashem. How do you make the Gentile know Hashem? Well, he certainly won't grasp God's existence through spiritual enlightenment or some intellectual understanding. No, that's not going to help. It's only by personally experiencing God's power that even the most stubborn Gentile, like Pharaoh, will understand that God selected Israel as his nation. And so he needs those makot. He needs the plagues because that's what makes him understand. The nations are impressed by power. And that's why we learn from the sages. Shashem porea mene umot. When Hashem punishes the nations, shmo mitkadelu mitkadesh. Then his name is magnified and hallowed. And so that's the only way to win the war against these Muslims. By showing them Jewish power, turning Aza into rubble. And then you won't hear anymore Allah Akbar. Just like after the Six-Day War, you didn't hear it. So God gave us a Jewish army and the means to assert Jewish power. We know what we have to do to win this war. 
But to do so, we have to fear the Lord and not fear the nations. That's the key to redemption. That's it for me. If you want to hear more, my classes in Tanakh or other previous shows of the Jewish Truth Bomb, or if you want to buy books of Rabbi Kahana and all kinds of other good stuff, you can find me on LennyGoldberg.com. It's a new website we set up, LennyGoldberg.com. You'll find it all there. Or you can email me at LennyGoldberg40 at gmail.com. LennyGoldberg40, the number 40 at gmail.com. See you next week.